0: Good morning. So glad that you're here to worship with us at Rivermont today and invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As we continue our study of the second letter of Paul to the Corinthian church and we look at it through the lens of the reach of grace. Today we're going to look at verses 1 to 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now that it's November, it seems that there are a few things you can count on. One of them is... You know, the mailing catalogs that come into your mailboxes, you know, all these things that you absolutely must have if you're a worthwhile human being, right? The other thing that you can count on in November are fundraising letters. They begin to show up in your mailbox alongside the catalogs. And even here in the Bible in 2 Corinthians 8, we find a fundraising letter. The church in Jerusalem had struggled mightily with famine and with persecution. And the Apostle Paul was raising money to relieve their distress throughout the Gentile regions of Macedonia and in this particular church in Corinth. What would you say if you wanted to motivate God's people to give? Second Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 1. Paul wrote, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus, as he had once he had started, that he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from this part of your word, that we would be challenged and encouraged by your work among us as we give to one another. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. I read a story this week about a congregation in Edinburgh, Scotland. I'm not sure that it's true, but it really doesn't matter because it preaches really well, right? (laughs) so there was the time in the worship service where they were taking up the offering and uh, one man put in the offering plate as it passed by a large coin when he had intended on putting in a penny. You can see how that might happen. You get the wrong coin out of your pocket and put it in. And he had a decision to make. Does he reach in the plate and pull the one out and try to replace it or not? Well, this man decided that would not be uh, fitting with decorum. So he simply asked the usher... If he would return the larger coin so that he could replace it with a smaller one. Thing to note that this is Scotland. It's <laughs> a land known for being thrifty. And so the usher responded, In once, in forever. <laughs> so what would he do now? Well, the giver retorted, Well, I guess I'll get credit for the larger coin in heaven. And so the usher responded, No. I think you'll get credit for the penny. <laughs> Why do we give? Do we, like this Scott, think that we give in order to gain some credit in heaven? Do we, gain, do we give in order to make ourselves feel good or fulfill some sense of obligation? And how much should we give in order to be able to tick the box of propriety in our giving? So often when we think about the stewardship of our money, we focus on the how much question. Should I tithe, gross or net? To whom should I tithe? These are really good questions to consider. But in this passage, Paul calls us to go much deeper. Instead of a letter reinforcing a rule about how much to give, Paul's approach was that if we rightly see the answer to the why question, why do I give, then the how much seems to be put in its proper place. So briefly this morning, as we consider our own giving as the body of Christ, why do we give? The first thing that we see in this text is that giving is response to the gift of God's grace. It is grace that motivates us to give. If you look through the chapters of uh, 8 and 9, you will see that the giving uh, motive, motive is called grace eight different times. It's the grace of God, the the favor of God, given to sinners who don't deserve it, yet received as a gift. That gracious giving of God motivates our giving of our resources away. To put a fine point on it, Paul speaks of the Macedonians in verses 1 to 5. Now these were churches through Gentile regions and they had struggled mightily. And in fact, Paul labeled their situation in verse 2, extreme poverty. Or more literally, a down to the depths poverty. Or we would colloquially say it, they were dirt poor. They were dirt poor, and yet in verse 2, their joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That's incredible, isn't it? What would make a people who are dirt poor produce a wealth of generosity? Or even as verse 4 says it, they would beg for the favor of giving away what little they had. What would encourage a dirt poor people to give away what little they had? I think the answer is that they knew and experienced the Jesus of verse 9. Who though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Now this is not economics, but Jesus was impoverished by taking on human flesh. He entered into our sinful and our broken world, leaving the throne of heaven and living in the dirt, living in poverty Himself, taking on Himself our sin and our shame, being crucified under the curse of God. To remove the wrath of God from people like us. He was impoverished so that we might be made to enjoy the riches of eternity with Him. These poor people knew that Jesus who was willing to disadvantage Himself in order to extend advantage to sinners and rebels like them. Like us. They knew and loved the One who gave up everything in order to bless the ones who were His enemies. It was that undeserved favor, that love and mercy of God given to us when we deserve just the opposite that took command of their hearts and motivated them to go and do likewise. Because Jesus had loved them this way, they looked for ways to disadvantage themselves. Even when they were dirt poor, they looked for ways that they could disadvantage themselves in order to extend advantage to someone else who is suffering. It's the grace of God that motivated their giving. Here's the progression that Paul demonstrates in verse 2. <clears throat> he says, Grace produces an abundance of joy which overflows into generosity. Do you see that progression? It is grace that produces an abundance of joy which overflows into a wealth of generosity, and it doesn't ever work the other direction. You don't ever give yourself into joy. You don't give yourself into grace. But rather, it's the other way. We give because of the profound gift that we have received in that undeserved love of Jesus. You see what Paul was showing these wealthier Corinthians now? How much they had did not determine whether or not they could give. Instead, what they had received from Jesus determined whether they could give themselves away. Giving is a response to grace that has been given to us in Christ. And as verse 8 suggests, our giving proves our love for the Lord Jesus. Giving is rooted in grace, not our wealth, not our excess, nor really in what the church has done for us. So often we may think that the church is a club to which we pay our dues, but it's not. The body of Christ is not a place where our giving buys us influence. It's not a place where I give as long as the elders do what I want them to do. We don't give because we feel guilty. But it's just the opposite. We give because our guilt has been removed. That's why we give. We give because Jesus has done something to give to us life when we deserve death and we want other people to experience that Blessed grace of God. That's why we give. We've received grace. We've received salvation. And we want others to receive it too. That is what motivates our giving. We give out an abundance of joy because of what Jesus has done for us. And it produces a sense of union with other human beings who desperately need the Lord Jesus. If you're having a hard time giving your resources to the body of Christ, then perhaps, like me, you may need to spend more time focusing on the cross than on your bank account. The root of generosity is the generosity of Jesus toward us. How generous do you feel in light of the cross? The second thing we see in this text is that we give what we have, not what we don't. Now, that seems rather obvious, doesn't it? On one level, I suppose it is obvious, and yet so often we live by comparison and we focus on other people's giving and we try to match ours by comparison. But certainly these Macedonians didn't have a great deal to give away to the suffering church in Jerusalem. Neither did Paul prescribe how much the church in Corinth should give. But instead, he says, give what you have in order to relieve their distress. Rather than being freaked out about not having enough and in comparison to what someone else might give, Paul in verse 12 says, if you're motivated by the grace of God, give according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now this would have been a wonderful time in the letter, I think, to reinforce the principle of the tithe. But Paul does he goes much deeper in verse 15 by bringing us not back to the tithe, but to the Exodus, where manna had been collected by the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. In verse 15, he takes us back to Exodus chapter 16. You might remember the collection, the story, where the people had been freed from Egypt and they began to grumble against Moses and as they thought, he led them out into into the desert to starve. And so in Exodus 16, God said, okay, I'll provide quail for meat in the evening and I'll provide for you manna, this bread from heaven in the morning. And you go out and you collect it. But you may remember the story. They were to collect only enough manna for that day. Gathering it up, And it was hard work and some people had more capacity than others to work hard and so they could gather up more than others. But as these people gathered more than they needed, they shared it and gave it to the people who didn't gather enough. Do you remember what happened if you tried to store the leftovers? Remember what happened when you had too much? It was your excess, the worms ate it, right? The maggots got to it. If you kept more than what you needed or didn't give your excess away to someone else who didn't have enough, then it rotted and it didn't last. And this is where it gets really interesting with Paul bringing us back to this story instead of the tithe. And don't worry, Paul's not teaching some socialist ideal where we pool all of our resources and we distribute it equally. That's not what he's doing. If that were the case... And he would not only call on the wealthy Corinthians to help the church in Jerusalem, but he would also call on them to relieve the poverty of the Macedonians. That's not what Paul's doing. He's not a socialist revolutionary. But, but, he is pushing us hard to give away what we have if we have ears to hear him. By reminding us of this Exodus passage, Paul is pointing you and me to a call that is actually much deeper than a tithe. He's reminding us of the manna in the desert. And by doing so, he's reminding us that we may look at our money, we may look at our resources as what we've earned. But Paul is challenging that perspective a bit by saying it's compared to the manna. Our money is just as much a gift of God as the manna was in the exodus. Nobody in those days would go out and say, But I worked so hard to earn all this manna. Right? God was the one who provided it. God was the one who renewed it day after day after day. And the same is true with our resources. We may think, But I've earned all of this. I should be able to keep it. But Paul would say, Well, who gave you the talent? or the experience, or the relationships, or the whatever, to be able to earn what you have in the first place. was God, right? What we have is as much a gift of God as was the manna in the desert. That's Paul's point. So if we respond, but I earned it, Paul says, no, you were given it. We give because we've been given too. Second, and in a more challenging fashion, Paul speaks to what we do with that gift that we've received from the Lord. In those days, in Exodus 16, if they kept too much, more than they needed, it rotted. And Paul is suggesting that if we keep for ourselves too much and refuse to benefit someone else who has need, our resources aren't going to keep. It's never going to feel like it's enough. You can never save yourself into a full heart or save yourself into a full life. It's not going to go with you. It's all going to rot, just like that excess manna. But we've been given so much. We've been called to pour out what we've been given in order to bless someone else. That's not an argument against saving, but instead it's the Bible's argument to invest in God's work among God's people. That's what he's saying. So how much do I give then? We give what we have. Paul in verse 13 uses a different standard from what I usually use when I think about my own giving. I think about it this way. Whatever I have left over, I'll give some of it away so that I don't feel the loss. I'll check the 10% box and be done with it all. But, but Paul's standard in verses 13 and 14 is very different. Look there where he says, don't give yourself into being burdened so that somebody else has to relieve you later. That's Paul's command. That's Paul's standard. Give, but not so much that somebody has to bail you out. In other words, give to such a degree that the question we wrestle with is this. Am I giving so much that I am going to be left destitute? Now that's a very different question, isn't it? That is much deeper than do I check my 10% box? How much am I supposed to give? I don't know. Paul doesn't give us the rule here, but he is saying this. If I'm never prevented from doing something I want to do or having something I want to have because I've given so much away, if I'm never prevented from that, I'm probably not giving enough. What he's saying is if my giving never restricts my splurging on myself, I'm probably not giving enough. I'm storing it all up for myself when I have what others need. That's challenging, isn't it? He's not saying give what you don't have, but he's saying look for ways to use what you do have for someone else's benefit. As Jesus So we follow Him. We disadvantage ourselves in order to give an advantage to someone else who's in need. And that is a different measure on my life. And frankly, I'm not sure if you do, but I feel really, really uncomfortable with what Paul is teaching us here. It's hard. But don't shoot the messenger. This is God's Word. He gives us So much. He gives us so much excess, and our lives are filled with so much excess so that we can relieve the suffering of the world around us. Now, where in the world are we going to find the power to give ourselves away like that? We go back to grace. It's only the undeserved grace of God giving us so much better than we could ever dream of having. It is only that grace of God that we realize that's going to overflow into an abundance of joy that will produce a wealth of generosity in our lives. One commentator said this, Only the greater treasure of the kingdom of God can free us from clinging to some competing treasure of this world. I think that's true. Only the greater treasure of the kingdom of God can free us from clinging to some competing treasure of this world. So if you're anything like me and you struggle to take in and you're struggling to live in the way we've been shown in this text, then with me look at the cross one more time. And there we find the Lord Jesus who truly did give Himself into poverty, into destitution, so that by His gift, we might receive eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would open our eyes to see what we have that we might be able to give away. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's something that we some skill we have that we can share with someone who needs it. But we pray that You would give us the type of heart and character and give us the eyes to look at the world around us to ask, what do I have that they need that I might supply their need? We pray that You would do that within the body of Christ, within this church. Move us and motivate us to look to see what I have that might bless others in this body of Christ, and what might be used to lift high the cross here and around the world. We pray that You would, by Your grace, overflow the joy in our lives so that we might produce the wealth of generosity. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.